Welcome to Elephants in the Room on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Here are your hosts, Joe and Kendall. You know, Joe, it's awfully inconvenient that arguably the biggest news for a political show to cover is happening today, yet we can't talk about any of it because this doesn't air till tomorrow after Election Day. So, yeah, no, that's like literally the worst time spot. We record right before election results. Well, no, never mind, because with the uh, the current way things have been uh, trending, especially after the 2020 election, there's a fair uh, chance that by the time by this time next week when we record again, uh, most of the election results will still not be in. Uh, in fact, I'm sure that they are going to be counting electronic votes uh, well into the uh, the next election cycle. <laughs> yep, but instead, Joe, we're going to p- take a page out of the mainstream media's book and talk about Trump for quite a little bit, as, l- as well as some other small election tidbits. And then we'll move on to some of, this, some of these calls for COVID amnesty. Um, so let's jump right into it. As you may know, um, Trump has been having some rallies recently and uh at one of his at one of trump's rallies this weekend he i'll just play the whole audio clip because it's pretty quite disturbing your discretion (laughs) is advised yeah we're putting them up we're winning we're winning big 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 in the republican party for the nomination like nobody's ever seen before let's see there it is trump at 71 ronda sanctimonious at 10 percent Mike Pence at seven. Oh, Mike's doing better than I thought. Liz Cheney, there's no way she's at 4%. There's no way. There's no way. But we're at 71 to 10 to 7 to 4. Ted Cruz is doing a good job, by the way. He didn't like me for a while, but we got to be friends, right? Could have put him on the Supreme Court. If I put him on the Supreme Court, you know the nicest thing with Ted? Because he's a you know, tough cookie and he's controversial. If I put him on the Supreme Court, I would have had 100% of the people in the Senate voting in favor to move him out, okay? <laughs> Even the Democrats would have voted for him, okay? But he's great and he's smart and he's good. I love how Trump can't give anyone just a solid compliment. He says, yeah, I'd put Ted Cruz on the, on the Supreme Court. You know, it would, it would be such a good idea that all of everyone in the Senate would vote for him because they all hate him so much. You know, I'll, I'll give Trump some uh, some slack uh, in that moment. I, I'd say that uh, he's going off of a very uh, a very intelligent rule of only giving mixed compliments to people with mixed views of him. <laughs> and so, like all of those politicians, I'm sure, you know, they, they are very much, especially when he was in, uh, in office, very much flip-floppy on uh, where they wanted to stand with Trump and where they wanted to distance themselves from Trump with. Uh, I know he made mention to Ted Cruz, but also, you know, obviously Cheney. Um, Mike Pence also at the election. So, you know, a lot of these flip-floppy characters on Trump, uh, I think they deserve a little bit of an insult sandwich or two. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the biggest part of this was that he took a dig at Ron DeSantis, which, um, you know, tensions between them have been ramping up Actually, a little bit. Actually, I've seen a lot of people upset about that because mm-hmm. uh, you have a lot of... Uh, well, I mean, to an extent, Ron, Ron DeSantis has been... Um, the most uh, noticeable Republican uh, figure since uh, Trump's uh, 2020 presidential defeat um, and him leaving the White House. Uh, It's been DeSantis who has been uh, very much the flagship leader of the Republican Party, especially Mm -hmm. from his uh, seat in Florida, Uh, not only uh, rhetorically, because Trump is also seen as sort of this rhetorical mouthpiece leader, but DeSantis has actually been putting in sort of policies uh, in Florida, such as what we, we've reported on, uh, a lot of the immigration stuff that he's done. 
and uh, plenty of other things. I know uh, just recently uh, he oversaw the passing of a resolution which banned uh, puberty blockers uh, for minors in the state of Florida. So a lot of big conservative stuff getting done there in Florida, thanks to him. Instead of approaching that with a bit of gratitude, uh, Trump seems to be... uh, Many people are speculating that Trump is sort of threatened by his uh, recent rise into popularity, uh, and uh, a lot of people aren't taking his sort of little jab at him uh, so kindly. However, he did come out and say that he did uh, fully endorse him. This was, you know, later uh, that I believe the next day fully endorsed DeSantis for his uh, his seat, uh, actually voted for DeSantis uh, from his estate in Mar-a-Lago. So, you know, uh, again, we're talking about that mixed bag. He seems to not uh, not exempt DeSantis from that. Mm-hmm. Say what you will about Trump and DeSantis, but I have to, have to give it to Trump. This is probably the the cleverest nickname that he's ever come up with. He's used to what a crooked Hillary or I don't know. Mini Mike. You got it. You got to I think Ron DeSantimonious. I, I don't know. That's that's a little bit of a high level nickname. <laughs> I think sanctimonious. Like you know, you had all the highbrow people. Like I can't believe that he said that. And you know, it's no. I, I don't know. I got to give the. I, I love lying, Ted. I do. <laughs> I love lying, Ted. And then and then the redemption arc of Ted Cruz of. Mm-hmm. You know, Ted Cruz finally saying, coming around to the Trump agenda, the Trump train getting on board and uh, Trump uh, rebranding him. No, no, he's changed. He's uh, I think he called him beautiful, Ted. (laughs) He's beautiful, Ted, now. Okay, I saw uh, something online where it was uh, he could have named him like soaring Ted like the eagle. (laughs) I I like, you know, Ted is his whole back and forth with Ted Cruz, I think. And Rubio to an extent. But Rubio is kind of out of the picture, but uh, is is very much uh, uh, very funny. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, primaries are always a little contentious because there's, um, by the nature of them, some in-party fighting. But I feel like Trump, just by who Trump is, seems to to, to rile these up a little bit. So yeah, there are um, quite a few people a little upset about this rift that seems to be forming a little bit between Trump and DeSantis. Well, I mean, I think that there's, there's a little bit of, uh, he's responding um, to a great deal to uh, a lot of the rumors that are circling mm-hmm. uh, within the establishment Republican uh, sort of circle, which is that DeSantis is being groomed by these uh, this sort of upper establishment GOP Bush uh, type era people mm-hmm. um, to sort of take the uh, Republican brand that Trump currently holds away from Trump. And, I, you know, I think that there's there's a lot to be said about that just merely from the fact that DeSantis has the best chance of doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, I I know from people that I've talked to, people who I've interacted with sort of see DeSantis as this preferable figure to Trump uh, because by and large, he seems to stand for a lot of the same policy, uh, making decisions that uh, Trump has stood for, uh, enacting a lot of the same stuff that Trump's done as president on a state level in Florida. But he is has he brings about it a much more professional, much more Mm -hmm. clean cut tone that you would expect from a politician. And I think that might be where my reservations with DeSantis mm-hmm. come from, where, you know, DeSantis is not an outsider. DeSantis is a politician. At the end of the day, DeSantis needs to be worried about getting reelected and appeasing the people that make that possible. So, you know, I think that uh, DeSantis as this is a great guy. I think that he has done a lot of great things for Florida, a lot of great things for the uh, Republican Party, a lot of uh, a MAGA ally, if if you will. Um, but, I you know, he's just... I think people need to realize he's not an outsider. He's not, you know, this, uh, I, I don't think he can be this Trump replacement. I think mm-hmm. he's a useful ally to have. But it's figures like DeSantis, I think, at the end of the day, people in the uh, the America First camp should be a little bit weary of. Mm-hmm. 
And Trump feeling threatened by DeSantis, I don't think is entirely unwarranted. I'd say in early 2021, a lot of people were pushing a little bit for DeSantis as a possible 2024 candidate. But I think a lot of the thought was that, well, if Trump doesn't run, DeSantis will be a great candidate. But now, um, as you said, it kind of seems like the the establishment Republicans kind of want to push um, push DeSantis up instead. He also raised $200 million for his re-election campaign in Florida, which is um, a pretty impressive amount of money, especially when you consider that he's up by 12 points for this race. So it's really not super contentious. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's ridiculous that Trump would feel um, slightly threatened. And I, I must say, I would be a little nervous to see if they really start to go head to head, how that would how that would turn out for the party. There's also as a whole. the the question of age, you know, that mm-hmm. like Trump is, you know, going on. If he does get uh, the nomination and then potentially reelected in uh, 2024 or uh, so on, you know, he's going to be in. Uh, he will be the oldest sitting president during that hypothetical second term. He will be president uh, into his 80s, and uh, a lot of people don't know if uh, Trump has the cognitive ability. Um, he he seems to now. I would argue that he does now, um, but you know, there's a big a big uh, leap between that now and uh, a president that's going to be uh, 80 years old during, when he's sitting in office. So a lot of people are thinking, you know, Trump's great. I like the Trump agenda, but you know, DeSantis is a close second, maybe or something, and uh, he's a lot younger of a guy. So maybe for sake of the for sake of the brand, we uh, we get DeSantis in there. Mm-hmm. You know, some of our viewers may be thinking that this is, we're spending a whole lot of time on this show, a whole lot of talk about two candidates who have not even um, announced an election bid. But, um, you know, since Trump's banned from, has been banned from Twitter for quite a while, uh, some of the stuff he says not, doesn't get out there quite as much. But if any of our viewers didn't know, Trump has not been exactly quiet about his intentions to, to run again. We've got an audio clip here from just a couple days ago of Trump talking about this. So here's that. And one of the reasons I, I don't want to do that right now, because I'd like to do it. But you know what? And I really mean this. I want to have the focus tonight be on Dr. Oz and on Doug Mastriano. Because we have to win. All right? What what could he be referring to, Kendall? I, I haven't the slightest of ideas. What, what could this man... Uh, you know, this innocent man who has no political aspirations whatsoever <laughs> be referring to in this audio clip. I, I don't I don't seem to know. It's it's really unclear. A mystery I, I, even. I think what might have given it away that he had a, a second golden escalator lined up behind them at this rally. <laughs> and at the last minute, his his um, advisors pulled him off and said, no, no, not yet. No, just kidding. Just kidding. He hasn't officially announced, but he's expected to soon. Let's um, be honest. Does he need to officially no, announce? No. And I think that I, in my personal opinion, I think that he'd probably be better off not announcing and just, you know, riding this speculation as long as mm-hmm. he can. Yeah. I, I think he's a little too into the attention to, to go for that strategy, Joe, but you, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we said we weren't going to talk much about election stuff because obviously, um, some of it may become, some of what we say may become very irrelevant very quickly. Um, or not, probably not because they won't count any of the votes, you know, they'll have to start over. They, Mm -hmm. they, that with the dominion machines, they're coming in now. So we got to recount them and, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the dead people are voting or whatever. Yep. There really are two, two real worlds that you guys could live in when you listen to this tomorrow, whether it's the, um, I would say highly theorized red wave that comes, um, or maybe we're, we've all been wrong or the Democrats have gotten better at certain election-related strategies. I, that's all I'm going to say about that. But yeah, Fetterman, Shapiro, Obama, and Biden 
had a rally at Temple University. This is actually the same night as the one you just played, uh, I believe. Uh, it was uh, Trump was in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and uh, they were uh, Fetterman. You know, yeah, all these big, probably top name. Uh, at least the people you're hearing a lot about recently, uh, Fetterman and Shapiro, because they're primary candidates, and then you know, of course, Obama and Biden going there to support them. You'd think this this would have a uh, a massive attention. Uh, being sought from the other half of the country. But uh, no, uh, like you said, they were at Temple University in Philly, and uh, they, they couldn't even fill up the, the auditorium that they were in. <laughs> they had to put like uh, massive uh, cloths over much of the uh, seating to uh, hide the fact that eh, no one was there. <laughs> and compared to, you know, Trump uh, going to small town uh, Latrobe, as well as... Uh, later going to uh, Miami to campaign partially for DeSantis. I'd like to remind our viewers uh, this is after the whole Ron DeSantis stuff. But, uh, you know, he was able to get, you know, a lot of people, thousands of people at both of those events. And, uh, you know, it really it really does show the uh, at the very least, it shows sort of the enthusiasm behind uh, both of these candidates and both of the parties that they're representing. Mm -hmm. um, but no, we actually have a clip from uh, probably, I would say, the smartest guy running uh, right now, uh, Fetterman. He is, uh, I think, I think the most likely to win. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll see why, you'll see why this, this, this uh, quite uh, exotic strategy that uh, he is employing uh, to help the Democrats uh, this primary season. I run on Roe v. Wade, uh, celebrates the demise of Roe v. Wade. That's incredible. You know, that's incredible. I can't. I can't even wrap my head Pure around it. Pure political genius. Because I'm so dumb. You know, I'm. I'm so not smart. I'm. I'm simply an elephant in the room. But Fetterman, he has. He has broken the confines of his room. Okay. Mm -hmm. He is. He is a donkey in the world, as some people <laughs> call him. But no, he. Uh, I, it, it seems to be uh, the Democrats are employing this new strategy of uh, running on both sides of the issue to to, uh, <laughs> to get both voters to vote for them. And you know, I, I think that the. The, the GOP strategists have to be wondering, like, what what is going on? Like, you know, why are all of these people that we could expect their votes from going over to vote for Democrats? And it's because geniuses like Fetterman are uh, are really rallying both sides mm -hmm. by uh, both simultaneously running for and against, you know, these Democratic social issues like Roe v. Wade and whatnot. Yep. It really seems to be a, a really impressive new Democratic strategy because even Joe Biden, how many times recently has he has he said one thing and then moments later said the opposite. I mean, about Taiwan, about defending Ukraine. Well, you know what? And Joe Biden's taking it to a whole different level, okay? This is all talk from Fetterman, okay? You know, he's a genius, but he's not a doer. Joe Biden is a doer. He is saying one thing and then doing something completely <laughs> different, making campaign promises and doing the exact opposite of that. I mean, this is genius, genius. You're listening to Elephants in the Room on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Kendall, and next to me is my co-host, Joe. Um, I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like being. I don't like. I don't like that we're co-hosts. I feel like we need a hierarchy. <laughs> we need a, a, a hierarchy of order. Maybe we'll put that to a vote. All in favor of making Joe the main host, raise raise your hand. Okay, Joe. This is an audio. Well, fifty percent is the majority, so mm -hmm. I will uh, take my fifty percent um, and my two. Uh, electoral votes. <laughs> and actually, uh, we have uh, Dominion uh, in <laughs> telling me that uh, our third co-host uh, has also voted for Joe. So I will gladly accept that. And uh, thank you, 
ladies and gentlemen, uh, you have elected me president of uh, the Elephants in the Room podcast. Congratulations. <clears throat> Thank you. This is slightly older news than some of the stuff we've been talking about, Joe, but uh, last Monday, The Atlantic published an article by Emily Oster um, called Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. I'm not a big fan of pandemic amnesty. If you really ask my opinion, I think that we need a pandemic wall. That's the <laughs> way that we sell, we, uh, we solve the problem of pandemic immigration, if, if you ask me. Uh, but, you know, uh, I'd like to hear the other side of the other mm-hmm. side of the aisle on this one. Yeah, essentially the argument that this author is making is that, well, we, we didn't really know any better. So all these things that we did during COVID, you really can't hold it against us. We should, we should forget about them and move on. Um, one of the quotes from the article says, but the thing is, we didn't know. But I don't ever feel like in 2020 or 2021 that you guys claim that you didn't know. I'm pretty sure the argument was that we know better, and that's why you have to listen to everything we say. And I'm doing hand motions and I realize that they're, the audience can't see that. Yeah, and so. I'm the Italian here, and I'm very <laughs> offended by this. Okay, get this man out of here. No, I mean, like, uh, it's it's very simple because they seem to be playing, and, you know, a lot of these uh, a lot of these people on uh, similar sides of similar issues, let's say, uh, like to play this card when they're proven undoubtedly wrong about anything whatsoever mm-hmm. that, well, there was fault on both sides. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if within the next, uh, you know, few weeks, we're going to be hearing stuff about the 2020 election uh, because, uh, you know, we have this uh, massive sort of Democrat upset uh, expected. And, uh, you know, now now there's a big bipartisan push uh, to investigate elections as a whole. And there, you know, it's we, there was there were issues on both sides. Um, and you see a lot of that, especially here with with covid, uh, with the lockdowns in particular. I think people are talking about. It's coming out uh, now much more in the mainstream of the harmful medical uh, and psychological effects of these lockdowns, uh, perhaps even like, you know, from a psychological standpoint, unsalvageable Mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, awful things that have happened. And uh, that's starting to be made uh, public, made aware. And, uh, you know, the effectiveness of these lockdowns uh, was very minimal, um, if, if at all. Uh, in mm-hmm. preventing the spread of COVID, pre- uh, containing this, you know, pandemic, we'll call it. These people, unfortunately, they're not able to simply say, uh, I was wrong, I'm sorry, because they've bought too much into their own lie, I feel mm-hmm. like. You have this superiority complex of, like, I'm right, you're wrong, and then when I'm wrong, it's devastating. So actually, no, the whole world is wrong. We're both wrong. There's areas we can mm-hmm. both grow in, and that's what I feel like when mm-hmm. I read this. I don't know if you're the same way, Kendall. Yeah, I mean, the author herself admits in the article, she says, student test scores have shown historic declines, more so in math than in reading, and more so for students who were disadvantaged at the start. And not only this, there's plenty of research that shows that, especially young kids who have missed a year, maybe two years of school at this point because of COVID, have really lost an important part of their like development that you really can't just fix um, just like that. The CDC reports uh, one in four young adults between the ages of 18 and 24 uh, say they considered suicide during the lockdowns. That's incredible. Um, That's like, like unironically. These are really absurd consequences. These are not things that you can just say, oh, well, you know, we were wrong. Um, Forget about it. It's not even just that they were wrong. They made a mistake. It's that in a lot of these cases, they knew what that, what they were saying was not the case. We, we played this audio clip a couple of weeks ago, um, but we're going to play it again just to, to remind you guys about this stuff that came out about how effective the vaccines were um, at preventing transmission. Plus, 
The Pfizer-COVID vaccine tested on stopping the transmission of the virus before it entered the market. Um, regarding the question around, um, did we know about stopping humanization before um, it entered the market? No. Uh, these, um, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to really understand what is taking place in the market. Yeah, so they openly admit in some of these cases that, yeah, we, we straight up lied. We knew that this wasn't the case and we touted it anyways for political gain. But now, now Joe, we, we have to forgive them. We have to forget that it happened. The argument that a lot of these people are going to make is, well, it was for the greater good. And uh, when actually it was not only a lie for the greater good, but it was a lie to bring about a worse case scenario uh, than that would have happened if it wasn't touted. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of calls for sort of retribution, a lot of uh, calls for punishment, um, especially from the authority figures and the elites who have called for this. And, you know, I think that I think this is a mass effort. And not only not only this article, this article seems to be spearheading the sentiment, but it's simply going to now become the sentiment, the new norm that and you saw this, too, after the election about how we need to mm -hmm. unite, we need to grow together. You know, mistakes were made on both sides. This is the same thing. Uh, mistakes were made on both sides. I'd, I'd love I'd love someone to sit down and tell me where where I I did I, I made a mistake on this <laughs> where where I lied for the quote greater good I, I I don't think you can. Speaking of mistakes having been made, I hope you guys tune back in next week where we can see the results of these elections. We might see, even talk about them. It, it seems possible. See exactly how many of these of these mistakes were made. Well, I'm Kendall, oh, and uh, I'm Joe, and you've been listening to Elephants in the Room. Hope to see you next week. Yeah.